0: on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen opens up your eyes, mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise.
1: Hupokrites is derived from two Greek words, hupo meaning under, and krino meaning to judge. So basically, a hypocrite is one who underjudges himself or herself and typically overjudges others hypocrisy always involves some form of inconsistency inconsistency in what you say or inconsistency in what you do or inconsistency in how you treat others or in how you relate to god
0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Many of us would probably agree that being around others who are overly judgmental and inconsistent in the things they say or do is less than enjoyable. The question we should ask ourselves from time to time is whether or not we behave in such a manner. In today's message, Pastor Gary reflects on the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and Sadducees who claimed to honor God but were far from Him. In his study, you'll gain a better understanding of hypocrisy and how detrimental it is to both our walk and witness. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah chapter 29 as he begins his message, All Talk, But No Walk.
1: Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 13. The Lord says... These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. I've entitled my teaching today, All Talk and No Walk. Well, with your Bible still open there to Isaiah 29, if I could draw your attention to verse 1, notice how this chapter begins In verse 1, Isaiah writes, Woe to you, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David settled. The first word here of chapter 29 is the word woe. Whenever you see the word woe, it should cause you to pause because it is a warning, it is a pronouncement of God's impending judgment. And His judgment is coming to Ariel. Isaiah writes that word twice, Ariel, Ariel, and then he helps us to understand exactly who or what he's writing to, because he adds the city where David settled. So this is an indictment against Jerusalem, and Ariel is a nickname for Jerusalem. Ariel in Hebrew means Lion of God, and so it speaks to the majesty and splendor and strength of the city of Jerusalem which is the capital city of the southern kingdom of Judah. During this time, Isaiah the prophet has been called to minister God's word to the southern kingdom of Judah, and Jerusalem is its capital. But this is probably a play on words, because while Ariel means lion of God, Isaiah is probably being a little sarcastic here in indicting the city of Jerusalem. This is the only place in all of the Bible in this chapter where Jerusalem is nicknamed Ariel. Ariel. And again, probably a play on words, that Isaiah is inasmuch saying to the people of Jerusalem, you pride yourselves in your strength, in your majesty, and in your splendor, like the line of God, like the king of the beasts, but woe unto you, because your splendor and your majesty and your strength are about to fade. And that's this chapter here. He's writing to the people of Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, and he's warning them in advance because of their rebellion against God. God is going to come against them, and he's going to judge them. That's why here in chapter 29, look at verse 2. God says through the pen of Isaiah, I will besiege Ariel. In verse 3, I will encamp against you. In verse 4, you will be brought low. Now the question becomes, what have they done to rile the judgment of God like this? Well, one of the things that they've done wrong is found here in our opening verse where we started at verse 13. Look at it again with me. How the Lord says to them, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. So one of the things here that has displeased God very much so in terms of the actions and attitudes of the people of Jerusalem is this disposition of they give God lip service, but their hearts are far from him. What exactly does this mean? And why is it so serious? Well, again, as I've said many times here at Cornerstone, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And we see Jesus quoting this verse to indict the people of his day as well. And Jesus gives us a word to help us understand what was so wrong in Isaiah's day, same problem in his own day. So if you have your Bible still handy, if you'd go to Mark chapter 7, if you'll turn to Mark chapter 7, we're going to see Jesus quoting this verse and we're going to see the context in which he uses it. So go in your New Testaments to Mark chapter 7. Now on your way there, just by way of free information, Isaiah is one of the favorite books that Jesus quotes from. Jesus will quote from the book of Isaiah eight times in the course of his ministry. This is going to be one of them here in Mark chapter 7 as you're turning there. Now let me set the background for this scene so that when we get to Mark 7 you'll understand what's going on. As most of you are aware, there were many people in Jesus' day who did not believe in him, who did not accept him as Messiah, as the Son of God. The Bible says in the Gospel of John that Jesus came to his own, and his own received him not. There were many who rejected him. Isaiah is going to tell us later they despised him. They rejected him. They they will eventually crucify him. Among those who were of his worst critics was a Jewish sect by the name of the Pharisees. Many of you are familiar with the Pharisees. The Pharisees would pride themselves on being strict adherents to the law of God so much so that the Pharisees were guilty of actually adding to the commandments of God by their oral traditions. They would come up with commentary on the commandments of God, and in the eyes of the Pharisees and religious leaders of Jesus' day, they actually elevated and valued their own commentary, their own traditions, on par with the commandments of God. And even today in circles of of, uh, some particularly conservative Jews and Orthodox Jews, the oral tradition is held in the same value as the scriptures. And so the Pharisees are here in Jesus' day, and they are strict adherents to the law. They pride themselves on just how much they try to keep the law. They've expounded and expanded the law, but they're always looking for ways to trap Jesus or to discredit Him. And this is one of these occasions. So Jesus is up in the Galilee region ministering, and a delegation of Pharisees has come up from Jerusalem to the Galilee region for this conversation. Mark chapter 7, verse 1, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. Jesus speaking now. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Circle that word there. That's key to understanding the passage. And then he quotes what we read earlier from Isaiah 29, 13. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So here's this conversation the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus, discredit him and they're like, "Hey, we noticed your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat." Now, by the way, nothing wrong with washing your hands before you eat. Okay? As a germ aware, not a germaphobe, but myself as a germ aware, it's a good thing for you to practice good hygiene, particularly in a public restroom. Okay? Wash your hands thoroughly. And then when you dry them off, take the paper towel and open up the bathroom door to get out and if they have the hand blowers and you don't have the paper towels use your sleeves and or get creative with your elbows but don't touch the handle of the door <laughs> what's the matter with you <laughs> if you go to burger in town by the way at BurgerFi, i don't know about the women's restroom but in the men's restroom there's actually this little pedestal at the foot of the door. I love it. You can actually take a pedestal and open up the door with your foot. <laughs> now, absent the pedestal and absent paper towels or absent your sleeve, if you have short sleeves, sure. The most glorious thing is when you finish washing your hands and drying and then someone happens to come in at that same moment. Be quick with your foot. Hold the door. <laughs> open it and off you go. All right. Listen, it's technique, people. Listen to me. So there's nothing wrong with washing your hands. I hope you actually practice good hygiene. This conversation here in Mark 7 is much more than just good hygiene. If it were only about hygiene, Jesus would have called them germophobes. But he called them hypocrites, okay? Because here's the deal. The Pharisees weren't just interested in washing your hands good before you eat. They were interested in adding to the commandments of God ritualistic cleansing ceremonies. And so they began to discuss among themselves, the ancient rabbis and the teachers of the law, what does cleanliness mean? And so then they started talking about, well, we need to go to great lengths to wash our hands before we eat and other ceremonial purposes. By the way, I almost showed you a YouTube clip, but then I thought, no, I don't want people to think I'm making fun of the Jewish people. But you can, for your own edification, you can Google today the Jewish practices on the ceremonial washing of the hands. It's very elaborate. It is, it is very detailed. It, it is very particular. They, they use a cup. They have to pour it twice on one hand. Held this a certain way. Held your hand like this. Twice here, twice there, wrists down. Make sure the water drips downward. If you have a shortage of water, at least go knuckles down. I mean, I'm not making this up. It's very meticulous, very elaborate, very detailed. Okay? And the Pharisees here were all about the ceremonial cleansing of the hands and making sure you did it just right. Is it two times this way, two times this way? Some Jews today say, no, it's three times this way, three times. I mean, they can't even make up their minds. But this is the emphasis that the Jews were placing on the ceremonial washing of the hands. The reason why Jesus indicts them with Isaiah 29, 13 is because, and calls them hypocrites is because they're more interested in external cleanliness than the cleanliness of the heart. They're more interested in duty than devotion. They were more about rituals with God than they were relationship with God. And for this reason, Jesus then quotes Isaiah twenty nine thirteen and calls them hypocrites. So when we read in the context of Isaiah's writings in chapter 29, when he speaks there about people draw near to me with their lips, they give me lip service, but their hearts are far from me, really it's, it's about hypocrisy. And Jesus uses that verse to expose the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of his own day. For those of you who like to take notes, the word hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypokrites. Hypokrites literally translates a play actor, someone who was involved in a drama and who would change masks depending on what skit they were performing and what character they were performing, one who hides behind a mask. Hypocrites is derived from two Greek words, hupo meaning under and krino meaning to judge. So basically, a hypocrite is one who underjudges himself or herself and typically overjudges others. Hypocrisy always involves some form of inconsistency. Inconsistency in what you say or inconsistency in what you do or inconsistency in how you treat others, or in how you relate to God. Now, here's an important and very sad statistic. According to the Barna Research Group, they surveyed a cross-section of millennials in our country. Now, millennials basically are the age category of 20s and early 30s. The millennials are, are some of the most unchurched generation today. They don't like going to church. They don't prefer to go to church. In fact, even among millennials who were raised in the church, by the time they have gotten to their 20s and early 30s, almost 6 out of 10 millennials have dropped out of church. And the number one reason they gave when they were surveyed by the Barna Research Group, why don't you like coming to church? Number one reason they gave, 66% of millennials said, because American churchgoers are hypocritical. Now the truth is, that a lot of people can make a lot of excuses for why they don't want a relationship with God and why they don't want to go to church. And the, and the truth also is that every single one of us will have to give an account of ourselves before God, and you will not be able to blame anyone else. You will not be able to say, well, I, I didn't want a relationship with Jesus because, you know, I saw a bunch of hypocrites who, 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 you know, said that they were Christ followers, and they weren't, and so then you're not going to be able to blame anybody else. So, get rid of the hypocrisy argument. And plus, let me just say this, it is hypocritical to say that people are hypocrites. (laughs) Because unless you've never been inconsistent or duplicitous in your attitudes, thoughts, or actions, then you're among us too. There's a little bit of hypocrisy in every single one of us. Every single one of us is guilty at some point in our lives of saying something inconsistent, doing something inconsistent, relating to other people, overjudging, underjudging ourselves, overjudging others, and relating in a wrong way to God in some way. So, all of us are guilty in some way of hypocrisy. Now, that said, shouldn't we still be concerned rather than just dismiss this? Well, okay, everybody's a little bit of a hypocrite, so, you know, can't we just get on with a different Bible study? I mean, the fact of the matter is that this should concern all of us. Shouldn't we be concerned about any inconsistency in our lives that might be a bad witness to this generation or any generation? And shouldn't we even be more concerned about the inconsistency in our lives as an affront to God? Hypocrisy is a sin. And when we practice hypocrisy, when we engage in hypocrisy, that we not only cause God to be dishonored, but we cause unbelievers to be disillusioned. Because they look at the duplicity of our lives and the hypocrisy of our lives, and an unbeliever stumbles. And this should concern us. Again, everybody has to give a personal account to God. I get that. But we should at least be mindful. What is our witness? Are we consistent or inconsistent? Are we sincere or are we hypocritical? In terms of the way we think and live out our lives. Peter would say in 1 Peter 2, 1, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. We need to rid ourselves of hypocrisy. If there's any inconsistency or contradiction in our lives, we need to look at it, examine it, confess it as sin, and get rid of it. It dishonors God, and it causes unbelievers to be disillusioned. Now, for you note-takers, there are typically three types of hypocrisy, three types of hypocrisy. The hypocrisy toward self, the hypocrisy toward others, and the hypocrisy toward God. So our remaining time, we're going to look at each one of these and examine our own hearts. The first is hypocrisy toward self. Now, this is when you say one thing and do another, when there is inconsistency or contradiction between speech and action, you're not, you're not really being hypocritical towards others. I mean, in a sense, all hypocrisy is also toward God, but for the purpose of our discussion, this is just as it relates to you damage yourself, you damage your own reputation, you damage your own integrity because there's an inconsistent contradiction in your life. Okay, And so we need to examine and understand all of this. Now, The Apostle Peter was guilty of this. Now, the Apostle Peter was a man that God used in a wonderful way to bring the first evangelical sermon to 3,000 people in Acts chapter 2, and they got saved. But by the time you get to Acts chapter 10, God is going to use Peter to preach the good news to Gentiles. For the first almost 10 years of the early church, and the book of Acts, the first 10 chapters covers about 10 years... The early church of believers in Jesus Christ was exclusively Jewish. It's not until you get to chapter 10 of Acts that you see the first Gentile who comes to faith in Jesus a guy by the name of Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion, he is a Gentile, and his whole family is going to get saved. But God's going to have to work in Peter's heart first to get Peter to the place where he even wants to visit Cornelius' house. Because Peter, as a strict Jew, was always taught, you don't socialize with Gentiles, let alone go into their home. And so in order for God to get the message of the gospel to Gentiles, he had to first work on the Jewish heart that was prejudiced towards Gentiles. Most Jews believed in Jesus' day that Gentiles were created for one purpose— as the fodder for the fires of hell. And so here Peter is as a strict Jew, and he prides himself on, on Judaism and, and his adherence to the law, but, but he understands Christ as Savior, and, and so he's, he wants the gospel to go forth, but God's going to have to work on his Jewish mindset in order for him to present the gospel to Gentiles. So in Acts chapter 10, Peter has this vision. God shows him his vision. And in this vision, there's this sheet that gets dropped down out of heaven... And inside the sheet are these, these animals that are not kosher, that would be against the Jewish law to eat. And in the dream, in this vision, God says to Peter, get up and eat. And Peter's like, you might be Yahweh, but no way. You know, that's the kind of reaction he has. I'm not going to eat these, these non-kosher animals because in, in Acts 10:14, he says, surely not I, Lord for I I will never eat anything unclean. And then God responds in the vision Acts 10, 15, and God says, do not call anything unclean or impure that I have made clean. Now, what God was doing was helping Peter understand more than just the dietary aspect of the law. God was helping Peter to understand those unclean stinking Gentiles that you have viewed as unclean are actually the ones I died for too. And so you need to present the good news of Jesus to them as well. So Peter gets up from this, this vision, this dream-like vision, and on his way he goes to the house of Cornelius, and Cornelius wonderfully responds to the gospel, to the good news uh, of, of Jesus Christ. and his whole household, Cornelius, his whole household, gets saved. they get water baptized, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just this wonderful event. And Peter then, in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, says this, I now realize that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from all nations who fear God and do what is right. And so Peter realized, hey, my own heart had a little prejudice towards some Gentiles, but I now realize that the message of the cross is for all people, and that God does not show favoritism. Christ died for all, that all might be saved in response to the free gift. And so, and so this light bulb goes off in Peter's mind. He goes, I now realize that God has called everybody to salvation, loves everybody, whosoever will shall be saved. And, and that God accepts all men from all nations who fear Him and do what is right. Ten years later, Peter is socializing with some Gentiles because now he's, he's had this epiphany in Acts chapter 10. And, he, and he's enjoying hanging out with Gentiles. He's eating pulled pork barbecue. <laughs> he's wrapping scallops with bacon. I mean, he's just, he's literally living high on the hog. You know what I'm saying to you? And he's like, this is wonderful. Liberty, 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 Gentiles, bros, sister, you know, and he's all, he's all hamming it up with them. Dare I say, more puns. And, 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 but what happens is Galatians chapter 2 Paul says, I opposed Peter to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Here's what happened. As, as Peter is socializing and eating with Gentiles, in walk some Jews. And all of a sudden, Peter gets up from the table and pretends like he doesn't even know these Gentiles. And in Galatians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says that by Peter's hypocrisy, by his hypocrisy, Galatians 2.13, he led Jews astray and even Barnabas by his
0: hypocrisy. The Old Testament book of Isaiah is a powerful text filled with prophecy, history, and the grandeur of your Creator. God uses Isaiah to teach the Israelites about who he is and what he expects from those who call him Lord. He also warns them against coming consequences of their actions, giving them the opportunity to repent and come back to him. Isaiah also tells of a coming salvation, the child who would one day die for the sins of every person on earth, the Son of God, Jesus There's much more to learn from Isaiah. So we hope you'll join us again here on Cornerstone Connection. If you missed any part of today's teaching from Pastor Gary, you can listen again online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have a mobile app as well, allowing you to take these messages with you on the go. Find a link to download at our website or search for the Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services start at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. each Sunday. And child care is available. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, but
1: still you know you're not a